Recording is in <coughs> session. We are recording. Uh, beep, beep, beep. Episode 18. Episode 18. We were just saying that we th- think we need um, like a light for the, our room that we record in that says like recording in session. And when it's in session, like you have the red light on. Like yeah. we're like music musicians. To let everybody else in the house know. To shut, shut the up. hell up. Please. Please. And thank you. Because we need to record an episode of Killer Babes. Right. And this will be a not long um, episode and it won't be short, but it is pretty hot in here. <laughs> it is hot. So we're going to have to make it kind of quick or else yeah. we might actually like pass out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do when it's the dead, dead of summer. Um, because this is either. kind of just the start of summer. Because if we the windows are open, like, yeah. Noise. I'm sure we'll have the AC on by then, so maybe it won't be loud and it'll be By then? Through. It's like the end of June. When do you turn your <laughs> AC on? I'm really trying to stretch it out because our electric bill is just so low right now. I mean, honestly, it's like pretty cool in your house without the... Yeah, it's just right now when the door's closed, my palms are sweating. Yeah. <laughs> I have sweat dripping in places. And plus we're going to the beach after this. <clears throat> That's true. So so I'd like to get this going. Do you want to? <laughs> so excuse our rudeness, but we are... But we're going to start. None of the pleasantries this week, people. Not right now. I'm sweating. But um, I hope everybody else is enjoying their summer. Yes. It is the end of June. And some of you, unfortunately, may be doing some homework. Which not blows. you. Your oh, yeah, not me. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. It starts back up in July, though. Oh, that's in like That's giving week. me cold sweats. Yeah. It's hot sweats, really, because it's hot. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, you're right. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely anxiously awaiting the start of school. I don't know if anyone else is, mostly just because I want to get it over with. Mm. But this week we're bringing you a case that happened at the very prestigious college in New England. It is not what you think, or maybe it is. It's Harvard. Ever heard of it, guys? Ever heard of it? (laughs) Haven't. When we, we've got just a really quick story, just really, really quick. (laughs) So when we were college shopping... College shopping. Yes. Love that's it. When we were in the market for a college. Yeah. And we were young, bright, blue-eyed, bushy-tailed. Oh, back in our heyday. We took like a walking tour of BU and we skipped out. Do you remember that? Yeah, because it, I did not. We didn't like it. No, in the tour I don't remember exactly. Oh, yeah. That's what was happening. Yeah. He kept trying to like walk backwards and like throw in funny jokes. But I'm sorry. You're not a comedian. You're a college tour guide. Like, yeah. Stick with the facts. And They we, were just like walking us like through the street. I remember. Yeah. And we were like, we're not see- even seeing anything. Yeah. Because I think we were walking to, like, the dorms or something. But it was an incredibly long walk for uh, just poor little me. And I remember, <laughs> poor poor <laughs> yeah, I remember looking at you and your mom. And your mom was like, girls, you want to bounce? <laughs> so we skipped BU. Sorry, didn't even apply there. We made our minds up real fast. So mm-hmm. That was not the Real fast. Us. I'm so sorry. Maybe it was after not. they told us the price tag, honestly. Probably probably not. Because I feel like we did it maybe 10 to 15 minutes into the walk. Yeah, you're right. Just like, you know what, peace. Um, but then we got this great idea. We were like, okay, let's try to find Harvard. <laughs> we tried to find Harvard admissions. We could not find it. <laughs> and that's how they keep people out. <laughs> that's how they keep people out. Yeah, I don't remember what it was so hard about. It. We were literally driving around for so long. We mm-hmm. could not find it. We like had GPSs. Like we're not that old. Like we had technology to help us, but like <laughs> we're not that old. For some reason, we just could not find it. 
And no. I don't, we literally never found it, right? We just gave no. up. Yeah, we, never <laughs> we found didn't. It. We just went home. Your mom drove us home, and that was the end of our college shopping. We're careers. like, well, we're lucky if we make it anywhere at this point. Like, <laughs> I just apply to like the online schools, yeah. you know, <laughs> they'll accept me. Something I don't have to drive to. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> yeah, that was really bad. Did we like go to any colleges that we actually like, went on the entire tour of? I went to one in Maryland. I forget what it's called, but it was near the largest shopping mall in Maryland. Um, and it was sick because I thought it was like super dope that every break they would give the athletes just $200, which in my head, I was like $200 for a week. That's epic. That's going to like, epic. I was like, I'm going to make like a hustle off this. But in reality, <laughs> like that would have probably gotten me dinner, breakfast and lunch for two days. Like <laughs> it's just crazy. But in my head, that was really cool. I didn't end up going there. Um, the school was like very, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just, I don't know if it was for me, but it was weird. And that's the only one I went to. I went into my school blind. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Did you visit? that's scary. Did you visit yours before you went? Yeah. I went to UMass Amherst. I, yeah, I definitely visited. Well, that's like an easy one to visit. So it's like. That's true. It's pretty close. <clears throat> I'm surprised I never even visited it. Like I didn't even go up there and I kind of wish I had because it was so cool. Maybe this you jealous, city. bruh? I ain't jelly. I loved my college. Shout out. C of I. Best college oh there God. is. Yeah, everyone knows what that means. C yeah. of I. Look it up. Uh, C of the I. Yotes. Yote up or transfer. What? Is that, is that what you said? No, that was a legit trending hashtag like for the school. Yote up or transfer? Yeah, it was actually kind of terrible. I think admissions like hated the tr- – but it was – well, they started hashtag Yote fam, and that was supposed to like bring everyone Ugh, together. I hate that. Yeah, it was – it was rough, but then someone else started like an unofficial hashtag for it that was like rivaling it, and it was Yoda for transfer. And I'm pretty sure t-shirts like I think I have a t-shirt that has that on there because like student body made like t-shirts and just handed them out for free. Yeah. So yeah, but anyway, okay, back back to the story. Back to the yeah, opening. We went I'm into sorry. that yeah for a reason. We told you we weren't going to, but we did, and we now did. I'm sweating. Oh, I couldn't help it. I know my armpits are real. Moist. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, guys. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and girls and everyone out there. Yeah. This is a quote opening for it. Quote, that future hope was tragically cut short by the crazed hands of violence in the spring. And yet that violence should not exercise its dominion over us. And it should not hold us hostage to the past. End quote. Reverend Peter J. Gomes. This quote was said to 70 people seated in Memorial Church Appleton Chapel on September morning in 1995. The congregation had gathered to reflect on a tragedy that had shaken the Harvard community just four months earlier. On May 28th, shortly before summer vacation and commencement, Sinedu Tedesi, and I don't know if we're butchering the name. Yeah, we're going to have to apologize up front. Like, we're not. We tried to YouTube it and everything, but it was not out there. So that's the closest. I think that's maybe close. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But Sinedu Tedesi fatally stabbed her roommate, Trang. Fung home in their shared Dunster house double before committing suicide. Yeah. Um, so sorry if we are saying the names wrong. We did try to look it up, but um, we're just going to give it our best twirl throughout here. Um, also, that is why we were talking about colleges is because that this story involves um, Harvard. So Sinidu Tedesi was born in 1974 in Ethiopia to a fairly well-off family. She was the youngest of five children. The Tedesi family were members of the Amara ruling elite, which lost its standing when the communist regime, the Dirge, came to power shortly before Sinidu was born. However, the mid-1970s saw a lot of turbulence in Ethiopia, known as the Red Terror. 
The Ethiopian Civil War had begun the same year Sunita was born in 1974. In short, the war was a civil conflict fought between Ethiopia's military junta communist governments, which are basically governments led by a committee of military leaders, and anti-government rebels, um, and it took place from 1974 all the way to June of 1991. During this time, some 30,000 people were killed and vast numbers tortured and imprisoned, especially among the educated elite. The war ended when the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front a coalition of left-winged ethnic rebel groups, entered the capital Addis Ababa and overthrew the previously established Workers' Party of Ethiopia. The Ethiopian Civil War left at least 1.4 million people dead, with 1 million of the deaths being related to famine and the remainder from combat and violence. In 1982, Sinidu's father, Tedesi Zaleki, an administrator of several government schools, was imprisoned without trial for two years on suspicion of submersive sentiments. I'm not sure what that means, but sounds sketchy. Yeah, sounds like they just arrested him. <clears throat> yeah, for like a general, very yeah, general crime. They probably didn't even know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The family did not know whether he would ever be released. Sunidu's mother, uh, at Seti, had a job as a nurse um, in a government hospital to keep the family from starving. Over the next year, more than a half a million Ethiopians died of famine. During this time, Sunidu was about seven years old. She got through these hard times by focusing on her studies. Sunidu was selected as one of the Ethiopian scholarship students whom the International Community School, or ICS, accepted as part of an agreement the school made with the Ethiopian government. In the country's public schools, students often sit on dirt floors, as many as 100 to a class, without books or supplies. Sunidu attended a Catholic girls' school. In the eighth grade, she, along with the best students from 80 other schools, took competitive exams in English, and she was one of six students to be selected for the ICS. Her teachers at the ICS, ICS, which is this international community school, they reached out to the New Yorker, and they talked about Sunidu uh, with admiration. Admiration. Why did I say Admiration. Maura McMillan, her English teacher, recalls, quote, She was quiet and demure, academically focused to the point of tunnel vision. She was one of those little academic machines. I never remember her laughing or goofing off. I think it would have gotten in the way, end quote. She was a student council president, and her classmates remember her as a serious person. Sunidu's guidance counselor, Patrick Dreyer, said, he was, said she was um, a quiet lady with a monumental task in front of her. You couldn't tell her that academics weren't everything because they were. They were her ticket out, which is true. I mean, I feel like it's kind of crazy when you look at academics where it actually is, like their ticket out of like their mm-hmm. the country that they're in with turmoil. I mean, yeah, you can't tell her that it's to calm down about it or be less stressed about it because it literally is like her way it's out. Everything kind of crazy. I think. I think some of us might take that for granted. Mm-hmm. Our education. Mm-hmm. And not realize how privileged compared to other countries we are. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She attended the prestigious International Community School where she graduated as valedictorian. Four years later, she emerged from ICS with a full scholarship to the richest, most famous university in Massachusetts, probably in America. Some would argue in, like, the country. I'm sure Harvard would argue. Countries. The country. <laughs> yeah. Um, Harvard. The American dream was painted. She would return home 
a doctor in a country that currently has one doctor for every 35,000 people. Damn. Yeah. And in which the average Ethiopian earns just $100 a year. Damn. Harvard is the oldest institution of higher education in the United States. It was established in 1636 by a vote of the Great and General Court of the Massachusetts Bay Colony. America's first college has a whooping total, whopping total. <laughs> has a whooping total. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go to Harvard, so I don't know how to say and that. She doesn't know how to say words. Yeah. <laughs> America's first college has a whopping total of 36,012 students and boasts of 48 Nobel laureates, 32 heads of state, and 48 Pulitzer Prize winners, and any bookworms out there. The Harvard Library is the largest university library on earth, and it houses just under 20.4 million volumes, 180,000 serial titles, and an estimated 400 million manuscript items, 10 million photographs, 124 million archive web pages, and 5.4 terabytes of born digital archives and manuscripts. And those stats are right off their website. I didn't know that it was the biggest, no. the largest mm -mm. university library. University not library, not like library, but... Right, yeah, yeah, but that's still very impressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know that. I didn't know that, and I would hate to be a tour guide <laughs> because I feel like, yeah, there's a shit ton of books here, <laughs> and we read, <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember stats to save my life. So that's. Oh, hard. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You can't remember the numbers. I'd be like, and here we yeah, have. That would be hard. But like you a could lot just of make millions of volumes. No one would know. That's actually true, except that one student who already read the whole website. And the like, Excuse <laughs> yeah, right. me. Actually, I there'd probably be a lot of those million? there. <laughs> yeah, not to stereotype. But. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> it also has the largest health mental health services of any university in the country. Mm. It is an institution greater than any of its distinguished alums. It is a school that Ho's friends, Vietnamese refugees like herself, had admired, and they referred to it as a halfway heaven. The culture at Harvard, of course, is, as everyone probably knows, is success. The strong students prosper. Others get overwhelmed, get lost, and withdraw. Quote, John F. Kennedy slept here. So did Ralph Waldo Emerson and FDR. And very soon, you. End quote. This is what the headline in the Crimson, which is the newspaper, the school newspaper, welcoming Sinead's class to campus in 1992 said. The engraving on the gate to the freshman dorms reads, enter to grow in wisdom. It's a little bit extra, but okay. Yeah, but I can just see it like engraved in stone and just so, so bold. Yeah. I bet everybody who just brings all of their dorm totes just look up. And think, all of wow. their little plastic milk yeah. crates from Target. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's all I used to move <laughs> Me in. Me too. Randolph Caitlin, head of the university's mental health services, said, quote, they're used to being stars. They tend to carry that competitiveness over to the social scene, end quote. So this results in, of course, a cocktail of anxiety, arrogance. They're winners. They're addicted to excellence and ambition. And they're fixed on not only being an extraordinary student, but there you find extraordinary athletes, you find extraordinary artists and extraordinary community leaders who all are going to go on to do these amazing things. Yeah, I was just thinking I didn't apply to Harvard. I didn't either. But And um, I feel like I always wanted to just to say I did, but I didn't. I know, I know, same. I feel like, though, to, like, get there, you need to have, like, a good story. And you need to have, like, a really good essay. You need to be, like, kind of, like, out there a little bit, like, a little weird. Or 
I know, unpopular opinion, or maybe popular opinion. You just need a really rich parent or celebrity. Well, star yeah, where you to see that buy now, way in. just facts at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But hey, I, I wouldn't know. Hey, I'll let me just sip my tea over yeah. here. Water, hydrate or dehydrate. It's <laughs> true. Um. Okay. So she arrived in Cambridge, nervous and excited. Um, I, oh my God, I remember going to college for the first time. I was like shitting my pants. Yeah, same. I was so nervous. I got a donut from Dunkin' Donuts and I like couldn't eat it because I was so nervous. No way. Yeah. Oh yeah. Actually, I remember my mom dropped me off and I had an orange soda out of a glass bottle and I was like, <laughs> do I open this or do I like use it to commemorate my like whole year? Do I just save it? And I just stared at it for like a half hour because I was alone in my dorm and then I Aww. drank it because I was thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Hmm. You do what you got to do in college, right? You do what you got to do. Am I right? So Sunita was no different. She was she was nervous, but she was excited. While she was really happy to be accepted to Harvard, that happiness didn't really last long. At Harvard, she felt isolated. She found the New England weather, especially the winters, were harsh and the work was difficult. I feel you there. Yeah. There was no positive reinforcement like she had received at the ICS, and her academic performance failed her. Compared to her elite Harvard scholar classmates, Sunita was, bluntly put, mediocre. Some of the students there had taken calculus in seventh grade. It was tough to compete, especially with where she went to school. She struggled for Bs, and she had a B average in her pre-med studies. She worried that she wouldn't get into a good medical school because it had fierce admission competition. She was also bewildered by American standards. In one of a series of diaries she kept while she was at Harvard, she wrote, quote, Copying from one text is plagiarism, while copying from different several texts is research. Good point. I feel that, yeah. yeah. That's so true, and I'm not really 100% sure sometimes. <laughs> I just, I don't know how it works. Because I feel like if you throw a quote in front of it, you could quote a whole paragraph, and it's just part of your essay. Yeah, it would just suck, And you though. just, yeah. You'd get, like... It's, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. It, I feel like it's definitely like if Americans who learn English in grammar school and all of that for their entire lives don't still really know the difference. Yeah. I can only imagine. Not yeah. only do you have to like learn the, the language, but mm -hmm. the English language just has you, so many nuances as well. Yeah. And just standards of like writing. Like you get used to that over years yeah. of writing in America. So if you just came here from somewhere else, I'm sure it's a big culture shock. Like, and I don't think they're so like at Harvard. They're probably not. Oh, let me hold your hand. Like you, no, your first essay. Not. Oh, too oh, bad. I can only imagine. So yeah. scary. Definitely a shock. So she did struggle with this loneliness and unanswered cries for help. As reported in a 1996 New Yorker article, in addition to receiving therapy from Harvard University Health Services, Sunito expressed her feelings of hopelessness by sending letters to local strangers. But culturally, she was struggling as well. Happiness is not really an Ethiopian value. Ethiopians are supposed to be responsible. That is the highest value, and that's how Ethiopian girls are just supposed to be. The self-analytical, confessional, the exchange of self-revelation -revel as a currency of friendship is a, is a cultural discourse that many Ethiopians find it difficult to participate in. So again, it's this idea of culture shock. Um, coming over to, into America and being thrown into, like, the most stressful situation of your entire life, basically. Terrible. Sunita kept spiral notebooks. Uh, she called it my small book of social rules or the social problems I faced. She addressed herself in the second person or in a question and answer format in these notebooks. In these books, there were ne nearly 100 numbered instructions on problems 
such as what to discuss with other students in the dining hall, a problem she resolved to master by treating it as an extra class. The following are excerpts from her diary published in The New Yorker. So this is what she wrote in one of her notebooks. Baby, I got a great idea. Remember that this is your fifth course. Every morning when you wake up, you have to come up with three fat topics of conversation. This is always your greatest problem, so deal with it properly. I know this is going to be very difficult, but it cannot be more than the effort you put into one of your classes. Do it, do it, do it. Remember, this is one of your classes, and for every three questions you turn in, you get a grade. The early entries reflect ordinary anxieties of a college student and a foreigner, but they grow increasingly paranoid and disassociated. Quote, do not show off what you really think. Put on a mask. Do not smile when you do not need to smile. If you're talking about something serious, make your face serious. If you want to threaten, put away your smile and look ominous. If you are sorry, make your face look sorrowful. But do not. Do not smile when you don't need to smile, end quote. She also recorded her own cassette tapes trying to analyze her problems and give herself encouragement. But she was painfully aware that her attempts at self-cure, treating human relations as homework, only seemed to cement her alienation. And during the summer after her freshman year, she wrote a letter to a stranger at the law school. She begins by explaining that she had picked the name out of a phone book, that she was a freshman at Harvard College, and that she was from Ethiopia. The letter really is quite shocking and reveals a lot about her mental status, and it reads as follows. Quote, Why am I writing this letter? Because I am desperate. As far as I can remember, my life has been hellish. Year after year, I become lonelier and lonelier. When I am with a group of people, I keep so quiet, parentheses, I have nothing to say, that I send the chills through those who notice me. Then I cry when people forget about me or dislike being with me. When I am with one person, I shake with nervousness, fearing that we will run out of things to say, or she or he will be bored. For math, I had a teacher. For painting, I had a teacher. For social life, I had no one. I am like a person who can't swim, choking for life in a river. All you have to do is give me a hand and put into words what you already know. No expenses, commitments, or risks involved. You can say no at any moment. You can say no at any minute. All it takes is a few hours from your week and some energy. Please do not close the door in my face. Even if you are not interested, please give this letter to a friend or relative who might be. This letter was forwarded to a dean and then placed in her file. Yeah, so clearly her diary entries indicate a complete and utter desperation. I mean, it's really sad. It is. Um, she was desperate for comfort, for a listening ear. But most of all, it sounds like she was just desperate for a friend, uh, somebody that could lend a hand in the slightest way. She didn't really know how to convey the fact that she was looking for friends, though. Clearly, social skills did not come easy to Sunidu. She handled the challenge like she did her academic classes, studying and working hard, always doing her homework. Harvard students recall that she was always looking down and would never make eye contact. Shugu Imam, a foreign student, said, I'm so sorry if I just butchered that name. I really don't know. Um, they said, I'm not surprised Sunidu didn't have any friends. She was not a compelling personality. When you're a foreign student, you have to come to terms with the fact that people aren't interested in your culture. You have to learn American politics, read Vanity Fair. 
The African friends I have who were socially successful were well-traveled from fabulously wealthy or glamorous, glamorous backgrounds, and the women were pretty and knew how to, how to exhaust, exoticize? exoticize themselves. And then in the spring of her freshman year, Sinidu finally saw an opportunity to make a friend. She met Trang Ho in a science class and had become friendly with her. In March of her freshman year, Sunidu learned that her current freshman roommate did not want to live with her again for the upcoming year. She was rejected. And very close to the time rooming decisions were due. It was around this time that Trang agreed to share a suite with her. Luckily for Sunidu, tension had arisen between Trang and Trang's freshman roommate because her roommate's boyfriend often slept over. And I feel like a lot of us can relate to that at some point or another. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. the worst. So sorry. If Actually, I, I kind of lucked out in that situation. But Did you? My freshman year, I loved my freshman roommate. But, oh, God, there were two <laughs> instances where, like, ooh, yeah. And this is coming from an only child who. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So you were, like, already rough. Into it. Yeah, it was already rough that way. But I don't know. There's just something so invading of having... Like not a stranger because you kind of knew them, but like but it's like home. your and it's your personal like room that they're in because you yeah. don't have your own room, so it's just and I feel like a lot of people and this is probably true for a lot of people is you're not aware of everything, all of your surroundings. Like you're not very old. This did not happen in high school. Like yeah. this was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people, and it's just like what the hell is going on? <laughs> Help, SOS. <laughs> Mom, like, come pick me up from Idaho. <laughs> lying there, just, oh, God, I can't. Oh, God, I've really struck a nerve with that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but I guess that's how Trang and Trang's uh, roommate felt, too, or Trang felt about Trang's roommate. So there was some tension there. Sunidu's diary entry dated March 8, 1993, reads, The last four days were the highlight of my life thus far in Harvard. My rooming problem was solved in the best possible way, saving my face, and also with a girl I thought I would really enjoy to be with. With a girl I could make the queen of my life. I could just see myself raising my head proudly whenever people ask me who I'm rooming with. I could see myself working hard to improve my life so as not to spoil the beautiful chance I'm giving. You know what I fear? I fear that shitty, cringing feeling that accompanies me. Should my rooming thing does not work out in a way that makes me hold my head high and speak of it proudly. So Sunita visited her family in Addis Ababa only once in three years when Harvard actually paid for her to go over there. When Sunita went home, she told her father she had found a best friend. And of course, she was talking about Trang, her new roommate. Trang didn't fully grasp the magnitude of the role that she played in her roommate's psyche. Her priority was first and always her family, which had been broken up almost a decade earlier and had become reunited less than a year before she entered Harvard. But Trang's father fought in the South Vietnamese Army, and after the war, both he and Mrs. Ho were sent to re-education camps. <laughs> You're like a 12-year-old boy, but okay, I'm going to just keep going. Trang, a second daughter, had been born outside Saigon in 1974, five months before the city fell to the North Vietnamese. After, Mrs. after Mr. Ho was released from the army the following year, the family made an attempt to escape their surrounding turmoil in a small fishing boat. During the boat ride, Trang actually fell overboard. She was quickly rescued, but the family had to abort their escape mission. In 1984, when Trang was 10, Mr. Ho made a second attempt. 
the family boarded a small boat with 265 others. Well, you know, that's very cozy to head to Indonesia. His wife stayed behind with their youngest daughter and was going to rejoin them later. He took Trang and her older sister with him, cutting their hair so they looked like boys to protect them from the rape by pirates that they might encounter. The boat was so crowded that they had to stand for seven days. Finally, yeah, crazy. Finally, they reached a refugee camp in Indonesia where they spent almost a year. Each day, Mr. Ho gave the girls English words to learn. At first, 10 or 20, then 100 a day. In 1985, they arrived in the United States at San Diego, California. But a year later, after Mr. Ho heard about all the famous universities in the Boston area, he moved the family to Dorchester, Mass. Dorchester. Yeah. <laughs> Trang took her school career in her new country very seriously. At this point, she was about 12 years old. And they tell a story about her that one night she needed help with her homework and she called 911. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Emergency help. The kind of extra I aspire to be. No, you don't. (laughs) The dispatcher told her that someone would call her back. And then it's actually really nice. The phone rang a few minutes later and her father picks up. And on the other end, there's a police officer who was asking for the little girl who needed help with her homework. Yeah, that's cute. Like That's really cute. Yeah, that's cute. It's a nice little story. Damn, I just can't get over like these people literally took a boat right here had yeah. to like c- cut their hair though the first time they took a boat ride she almost drowned they yeah the, then they do mm-hmm. it again you have to stand there's so there's many people standing for like a week and fucking this is all literally just to get like now i'm not saying not saying that education is not a good thing just, but i'm but saying yeah. it's to get an education and like we literally what i don't even know i didn't do anything to get one i just arrived yeah at and we like turned our nose down <laughs> at like multiple schools it's insane yeah it's definitely completely different and nobody understands it i think until they're put in that position like i could never really 100 percent no, no 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 not at all it's just crazy how we yeah we don't even think about the lengths that some people go to to get what we had for like free for mm-hmm. most of for some of us like i don't know all through high school the family worked to bring over trang's mother and her youngest daughter trang even wrote to senator kennedy asking for help but mr ho was unable to sponsor them for financial reasons finally in the fall of trang's senior year they arrived almost almost immediately however her parents began fighting bitterly and they soon separated Mrs. Ho accused her husband of abuse. At one point, she fled to a shelter for safety and filed for a restraining order against Mr. Ho. But the dad moved back to San Diego, and Trang, who stayed close to both parents, became, in effect, the head of the household. Every weekend during college, Trang went home to teach her little sister English, translate documents for her mother, and help with the housework. Trang, like Sinidu, was often described as quiet and studious. But her teachers, unlike Sanidu's, stressed the joy and excitement she felt at learning. Trang used her academic success to reach out to people, and all through high school, she tutored her fellow classmates. One of her high school teachers, Denise Treniello, recalls telling Trang that other students were using her to cheat by copying her work. But she was too innocent, Treniello says. She'd never see it. Trang dreamed of being a pediatrician. Her application essay to Harvard concerning the plight of the boat people had concluded, quote, I will never forget the fact that I was a refugee, nor will I ever forget that I am one of the leaders of the future who will make significant differences. 
When she was a freshman, Boston Magazine chose her, along with Governor Weld and other luminaries, as one of 25 who can save Boston. That seems like a lot of pressure. Yeah, no big deal, but we think you can save, save the, the world. entire city of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you're only one of 25 that can do it, so good luck. She was presented as the final entry, the hope of the next generation. Okay, that's just even more pressure. Adjustment to Harvard was difficult, but by the beginning of her sophomore year, she had established a group of friends and was flourishing. She wasn't an academic star, but she did well and didn't seem super anxious about her grades. The great hope Sunidu had held for her relationship with Trang dissolved immediately. Not only did Trang leave Sunidu alone every weekend to go home with her family, but she already had a best friend, Tao Nyun. Sunidu was jealous of Tao, and sometimes she just happened to ne- just happened to neglect to give Trang her telephone messages. It's <laughs> a little salty. Whoops, so sorry. You got like five messages. <laughs> My bad. I forgot. Sorry. A month into their sophomore year, Sunidu wrote the following entry in her diary. On the way to depression and battered with pessimistic thoughts. I am unlovable and a cuckoo. Trang told me I am boring. I felt like I'm boring her. If I ever grow desperate enough to seek power and a fearful respect through killing, she would be the first one I would blow off. You know what annoys me the most? That situations would never reverse for me to be the strong and her to be the weak. She'll live on, tucked in the warmth and support of her family, while I cry alone in the cold. The bad way out I see is suicide, and the good way out is killing, savoring their fear, and then suicide. But you know what annoys me the most? I do nothing. In the spring of their junior year, Sinead's hostility became very evident, Trang. Where she once was compulsively neat, she started to be aggressively messy, leaving fruit in the room to rot. That's disgusting. Trang told her sister she had asked Dunster House officials to change rooms, but the request was denied. So at the end of March, with the deadline for housing decisions approaching, Trang told Sindhu she would be living with two other girls the next year. This, of course, devastated her. Once again, another rejection. She begged Trang to change her mind. Trang told her friend Tao that she felt that Sinedu's pleading revealed a lack of self-respect. Trang's sister, whose name was also Tao, remembers that Sinedu wrote Trang a letter asking her to reconsider, declaring that Trang would always have a family to go to, but Sinedu had no one. She said that if Trang changed her mind about their friendship, she should give her a call. A request that Trang kind of found odd because they lived together. <laughs> Trang became anxious about her decision. Whenever Trang thought she was hurting someone, she'd ask her friend to come over and say, Am I a bad girl? And Tao would reassure her. So that's what she did in this situation. Tao told her that it was all right to change roommates, and so Sinedu was left, quote, to float, and that's being placed randomly in a room by the Dunster house office. And then you just get a random roommate, mm-hmm. which I think is terrible. Yeah, that is so scary. In a school where most people choose their roommates, a kind of failure is associated with floating. The sense that nobody wants to live with you. Yeah, you don't want to be the odd man out that, like, gets left behind when everyone's figuring out roommates. Yeah, because I feel mm. like that freshman year of college is all about, like, okay, who's, where are you going to live? It's like, you got to establish, like, up yeah. front, like. You got to establish that in December, so that it's set in March when yeah. it's all being chosen. Yeah. It's very, actually, that's probably the most stressful part in college, honestly. The housing situation, because it's an, I don't know if you guys had this, but ours was always like, where are we going to live? Like the block that we wanted was taken because it was um it was a raffle. So everyone gets a number and then you have to meet with the housing uh-huh. um, department to pick your uh-huh. place. 
at a certain time because your number corresponds with like a time during a certain day and it was like yeah. a lottery like if you got a closer number to one it was better than yeah we did 500 too. we did that too <gasps> but it's like so then you so you establish like the four girls you're gonna live with or whatever mm-hmm. and whoever gets the lowest one is the one that like yeah you use them it. as like the prize horse yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, ooh, that was stressful actually. yeah that, that like is it. giving me anxiety i know right a little bit too i'm like already <sighs> sweating yeah Trang tried to pacify Sinedu, writing her a letter saying, quote, I respect you, so you should respect my decision. Furthermore, your actions about what happened really hurt me. If I had neither cared nor think of you as a friend, it would not have hurt me. Despite what happened, I hope we can still be friends, end quote. Sinedu stopped speaking to her. In Sinedu's diaries, Trang was Sinedu's only emotional resource. But what she didn't mention was that she actually had a brother, Neb, who was studying in the United States at the exact same time. She also had cousins in the Boston area, very close to where she was at school. These people, her family, they were shocked that Sinedu did not confide in them at all. She didn't reach out. She always portrayed herself as having no one in this country, but part of her family was over here. Yeah, she she did have some people. And I think she put that on trying, like, I have you nobody. get to go home to your family every weekend. Like, you have people that you're, like, comfort you. Like, I don't kind of like i'm the victim i'm the victim yeah but it's like you do have family that you can reach out to so something was definitely wrong with sinidu muhammad khan a senior who was pre-med like sinidu could see her agitation he lived above her in the dunster house they had met last year at a meeting about harvard medical school he remembers sinidu as her other acquaintances do a gentle shy hard-working girl who usually ate alone in the dining room two weeks before the end of the semester She packed up her computer meticulously in its original packaging and sent it to one of her cousins. She got hold of two knives and a length of nylon rope. For the first time in months, she finally called her brother Neb, inviting him to brunch on Sunday, May 21st. Uh, This would actually end up being one week before she died. When she arrived, her appearance was transformed. She was wearing makeup, high patent leather heels, and shorts. Quote, a change from her Ethiopian self, where wearing shorts is considered disrespectful, Neb noted. There was a profound change in the way she looked and moved and carried herself, he said. There was an air of happiness or contentment about her. She seemed lighter, end quote. This was the happiest he had ever seen her. He is certain now that she was saying goodbye. After her death, he found himself particularly disturbed by the memory. But it is a commonly observed occurrence when a suicidal person finally makes up their mind to kill themselves. They exhibit happiness or appear to be cheerful as maybe they believe that they have solved their problems. In the following week, Sinidu turned in the final work for one one course for which she received an A. But after that, she found it very difficult to continue studying. Students reported having seen her in the library distracted with a glazed look. She requested medical excuses for her other exams. She composed a letter, which she never sent, to one of Trang's friends about Trang's betrayal. The rooming chaos, as she put it. Quote, That incident led to so much evil between us, and ever since then, rooming with her was like burning in hell, she wrote. She also sent a photograph of herself to the Harvard Crimson, the daily student newspaper, with an anonymous note inside that read, Keep this picture. There will soon be a very juicy story involving the person in this picture. The photograph she picked didn't quite look like her. It was a glamorous, touched-up, professional shot from high school. But this was the photo they ended up using in the eventual article about her death. 
So she got what she wanted in that respect. Um, however, the Crimson editors had no idea what to make of the anonymous letter, so they just threw it out. Afterwards, the police actually found it in a dumpster and retrieved it. On Friday, May 26th, Tao came to spend the final weekend with Trang. Trang was taking her final exam on Saturday, and Tao was going to help her move home for the summer. Tao, a lovely, beautiful woman, then 29 and teaching in Lowell, Mass., had immigrated to America only two years earlier. Trang had become her first friend in America. They went shopping, and they both spoke English to help Tao learn. So Trang and Sinedu's suite consisted of two small, dark, low-ceilinged rooms, and like most dumpster house. I always say, say dumpster. dumpster? <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like oh, to me. Oh, no. Not at least once it looks like that. Yeah. You don't want your freshman dorm to be called dumpster house. I feel like freshmen probably call it that because this situation. Okay, probably. Listen. They so, probably do. <laughs> Someone from Harvard, give us the inside yeah, scoop. Let us know if you call it dumpster because I definitely would. Um, <laughs> like most dumpster house doubles, it was originally built for one. So the setup, I think, is a dumpster because it becomes <laughs> unbearable. Okay, that makes sense. Every time Trang wanted to go out, she had to walk through Sinedu's room. And every time Sinedu had to go to the bathroom, she had to walk through Trang's. Yeah, I can't even imagine that. Like, you need your space. That's so different than, like, sharing one room. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, everyone shared a room with someone. Like, that's one thing. But if you both have different rooms, but, like, you have to walk through somebody's own personal room to get to, like, the bathroom. And you hate each other. Like, the thing is, if you hate each other... That's, that's miserable. Sucks. Somebody just comes in like un- un- unexpected. Yeah, do you knock or what if you yeah, really, really have to know. go? Like at 2 a.m. you got to go pee. Like you have to go through someone's room. That's so much different than I guess just getting out of bed and it's leaving. It's so much different, yeah. Yeah. I I think that's almost worse. I I don't know if I'd rather share a room or to have that situation because you get your own room I mean, but at the yeah. same time you never know when your personal space is going to be invaded. At least you like know what your roommate's kind of going to do when if you're you in the were, same room. Would you rather have the room with the bathroom or the room with the exit? See, I don't know. I just don't know. Because I'm just picturing like a wild night, right? One roommate wants to stay in. The other one wants to go out. Right. You have to keep going into the bathroom, out to the room, into the bathroom, out to the room, and then into the bathroom <laughs> a final time yeah. and then go to bed. <gasps> Yeah, I don't know. What a terrible setup. Come on. You need to, I hope it's not the same. That sucks. And like, I can only imagine when like you're shunning someone, like yeah. you're not talking to them, but like, fuck, you have to like walk. Can over you their walk shit. the room? Like, could you be passive aggressive and lock the room so you, they can't go to the bathroom? Like, probably. That's crazy. I know. At 10 on Saturday morning, Trang went out to study for her afternoon exam in physics, a course that Sinead was also taking. When she left, she saw Sinead hunched on the bed in a fetal position, knees up, her hands were holding her head. And she was crying. When Trang came back at noon, Sinead was in the same position. Tao told Trang that she should ask Sinead what was wrong. Trang felt uncomfortable, saying that they hadn't talked in two months. But she listened to her friend and tried to be the bigger person. She opened the door and asked Sinead, are you okay? Sinead just silently waved her away. Trang went out to take the exam. When she came back between five or six, Sinead was gone. Trang and Tao went out to celebrate the end of finals. Oh, how good does that feel, though? Like, a physical weight is lifted yeah, off your shoulders. I can't even compare anything to, like, yeah, it's the relief literal of finishing high. finals. Yeah. Oh, God. it's the best. It's honestly, I don't even, I, I don't even know how your body knows that it's over, but it just, everything. <laughs> everything just, like, collapses, and it's like, this is where everything. I die. Like, when you're done, you're just like, uh Yeah. Like, I hold all my stress in my neck all the time, and it's so bad. And I, honestly, when I was done, I would feel like, 
amazing. I would feel like I just got a massage. I don't know. It's weird. It's also weird how your body reacts physically like that. It's crazy. (laughs) It's wild. Man. You are on like a roll with this. No one's sure how Sinead spent her final afternoon or evening. Trang had no idea that Sinead had not taken her exam. Around 7 p.m., Sinead asked the house superintendent to let her into the Dunster House weight room, a place that no one recalls her having visited before. At some point, she did speak to her brother on the phone, and she told him she was fine, just worn out from finals, exams, you know, she had diarrhea. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Maybe I'll just leave that out. <laughs> I don't know. It's not funny. It's funny. I don't know. Maybe she was so stressed out she had diarrhea, but I don't know why she felt like she had call her brother and tell him that yeah i don't know maybe that's just a weird detail that he remembers like vividly maybe I like she was physically ill yeah it doesn't seem like they had a close relationship but i don't know yeah, we just don't know when trang and tao came in at two in the morning after spending time with friends watching a movie they saw sinidu lying on the bed face down with the light on they went to bed talking for another hour or two sometime before eight in the morning an alarm went off Trang told Tao that it was Sinidu's and they should go back to sleep. Sinidu was already in the bathroom. Tao heard the sound of water running and she fell back asleep. She awoke to see Sinidu standing over Trang, stabbing her silently with a knife, her expression glazed and fixed, intent. Tao recalls like she really knew what she was doing. Trang held up her hands, tried to block the knife, but was unable to cry out. Tao grabbed the, tried to grab the knife but Sinidu pulled it away, slicing open Tao's hand. One of her feet that was next to Trang's bed got cut in the process as well. She was bleeding heavily, and Tao ran out of the room. She just ran out, and then she heard the self-locking door click behind her, and she realized in that moment that she would never be able to get back in because it's a self-locking door, and basically she says that that was the worst moment of her life. She frantically began knocking on doors of everyone else in the hallway, but no one was waking up. She stumbled out into the courtyard where there was one student just sitting in the sun and eating his breakfast. And then there was a scream. It was a strange, high-pitched shriek. And at first, fellow classmate Lloyd Marcus thought someone was drunk and just joking around. But then he noticed this young woman staggering out of entry H, wearing a t-shirt and shorts, wailing. She was screaming, help me. The young woman was glassy-eyed. Blood dripped from her hand, falling on the ground. Markham thought, oh my god, someone tried to kill themselves. But that doesn't make sense. Finals were over. It still doesn't make sense. When the police arrived, they found the door to the suite barricaded. Sinedu had pushed a heavy desk against it from the inside. When they finally got in, they found Trang's body on the floor in Sinedu's room. Apparently, Trang had stumbled onto Sinead's room, collapsed onto the floor. She had 45 stab wounds. Sinead was hanging in the bathroom from a length of rope. Police believed that the noose had been set up ahead of time because it was cut to the right length and the remaining coil was neatly placed in the cabinet. Paramedics came and attempted to resuscitate Sinead. She was pronounced dead. On May 28, 1995, in the Dunster House dorm of Harvard, Sinedu Tadesi, 20 years old, stabbed her roommate, Trang Feng Ho, also 20, with a hunting knife 45 times before hanging herself. So when the girl heard her in the bathroom earlier that morning, that's probably what she was doing. Yeah. Quote, never give up. This was Trang's motto. 
She came from Vietnam with her father and older sister as boat refugees in 1985. Pirates had attacked their ship, and they ended up in a refugee camp in Indonesia, where Ho first learned English. She perfected her English at Boston Technical High School, valedictorian, received a full scholarship to Harvard. Ho was an upbeat perfectionist, dizzyingly busy student. She wanted to become a pediatrician. She wanted to go on to Harvard Medical School. Her study sheets were crumpled and scribbled over. She often ate box lunches in the Science Center to save time. She was vice president of the Vietnamese Student Association, was involved in cancer research, tutored young Vietnamese refugees, and held three campus jobs, and liked to return home every weekend to Medford to help her little sister with homework to translate English papers for her mother. Ho's mother and her younger sister had arrived in the United States just two years before when the family reunited. Quote, forgiveness, 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 end quote chants the Buddhist priest at Ho's funeral. He led Ho's family through a mist of incense and circled the casket three times, as is done in the case of an unnatural death. Quote, Wherever there is hatred, ignorance, and greed, there is violence. End quote. The priest said this to the gathering of about 200 mourners. Ho's family held each other's hand. Her father cried out in Vietnamese, Don't go. Why did I work so hard for 10 years to go through so much in the end just to bury my daughter? Her casket was lowered into the grave, and one by one, mourners dropped daisies into it, a symbol that was cheerful just like Ho. The murder-suicide of two juniors capped for Harvard what had been a year of disasters. Two other students had killed themselves earlier in the year. The college had to withdraw their admission to 19-year-old Gina Grant after discovering she had beaten her mother to death with a candlestick. Two young alumni confessed in court to stealing $125,000 from a cancer charity while they were undergraduates. Uh, all of that happened in the same year, and that year, University President Neil Rudenstein took a three-month leave of absence, citing se- severe fatigue. <laughs> Rudenstein... Uh, quickly received 1,500 letters from students and faculty saying, in essence, yeah, I'm exhausted too. (laughs) Okay. So what about Harvard was making people think that suicide was an option? Quote, we have a lot of re-examining to do here, said Archie C. Epps III, Dean of Students, to a group of undergraduates who had criticized the administration for not being attentive enough. In the Washington Post, an article highlighted that, quote, the Dunster incident highlights that it's easy to slip through the cracks. This was said by Meredith Fitzgerald, a senior at Harvard. In the wake of the tragedy, Harvard officials said that Sunidu never indicated she needed any help, an assertion that was widely repeated in the press reports. In reality, Sunidu had been seeing a therapist, Douglas Powell, at the University Mental Health Services since her freshman year. Dr. Powell has said that he was under a gag order and wouldn't comment, but referred to Dr. Randolph Catlin, the chief of Harvard's mental health services, who spoke about such cases in general terms. Dr. Catlin said, quote, if your self-esteem is narrowly based, it becomes terribly important to feel there is one person who cares about you. If you take that person's rejection as clear evidence that you as a person are not valuable, that might make you enormously angry. A primitive response to this is that you might want to destroy that person or yourself or both, which is what happened in this case. So, yeah, that's the end of what we have for you on that story. A sad case. 
Also very interesting. I hadn't heard of it. No, I feel like I did. But there also have been a couple other cases that were really similar, similar. to this. Yeah. Where people have cracked under pressure. Yes. And uh, I think they're they're kind of all talked about all at the same time a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. I think I wouldn't be surprised if this story isn't that popular just because I would feel like Harvard wouldn't want to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, like advertise this. Well, a college never or university never no. wants to be associated no, with no, something no, no. that's considered bad press. Right. And I, I read a lot about people saying that they think that Harvard handled it like poorly um, basically kind of sweeping on the rug. Sure. Yeah, and the the fact that a letter, like when she wrote the letter to the stranger, which is placed in a file, it, it, it's always given the um, yes. the illusion that nothing was done, but she was seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure I read somewhere too that somebody had gotten hold of like not only those notebooks from college, but like diaries from her home. And they were the and same. like it was indicating like problems, basically, like mental issues that weren't really being addressed at addressed all. Addressed at all, yeah. Um because I think over where she came from, just it wasn't a thing. Like, they said, like, right. girls were supposed to do that. Yeah. This is how you acted. This is what you did. And you just studied. You got through it. You come, yep. You came back home. Yep. Yep. People, some people and some societies, I guess, just don't believe that mental health is a thing you need to take care of. Which mm-hmm. That's for sure, yeah. I feel like we're starting to... Hopefully realize... there's a big shift towards uh, yeah. help, getting help, knowing mm-hmm. and understanding that. And colleges providing the right resources for that. Like, I know that a lot of colleges do. Yep. Um, hopefully all of them provide something. But I also know that, like, it's, um, like, capped. Like, there's a limit to how much they'll offer you, like, right. for free. Like, um, I don't know if they, it's, like, one session a month or whatever. Like, it's there's some kind of limitation on it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just getting everyone to, like, a certain standard of, of – correct mental health care mm-hmm. and resources to use and and also just like the administration stuff like I feel like you need better training on to know how to handle this stuff sure yeah I, I feel like that that's not something you do to become like a college administrator but it, they do actually trainings. I don't know yeah no they do training they do yeah they do um a lot of trainings oh I don't know if- when to report it to know who to like direct a student to okay and then uh what you have to report and what you can like just talk through with a student mm-hmm. but for the most part yeah there's like the the trigger words that they know to report to either the health counseling services center because i think every school has that or just the police department on campus public safety yeah et yeah 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 but it still but, becomes tricky because what if you don't hit one of those like words that you're talking about you know what i mean but yeah, she's I'm, literally yeah, reaching out to crack. a stranger because she's so lonely yeah and they probably don't know that the all at the same time it's just happening with her roommate being rejecting her like they probably don't have that matched up yeah. so and they i don't feel know bad too for her roommate because it's not her it's definitely not on her to keep your roommate happy like no you can't so kill your pressure. roommate you know what i mean like that's yeah yeah it's it's tough that's so it's shitty. a very sad story nothing good came out of it no but also it's sad because i realized it when i graduated and i, I think you did too especially that like High school didn't really matter what you got in grades. College, when you graduate, once you have a degree from anywhere, none of those employers are saying, no, what was no. your GPA? How'd you do in school? Like, it does not translate over. No, and no, that's the saddest part. I could have gotten need... Fs in high school yeah. and still gotten a job. The, like, biggest thing that you realize is, like, you need to be able to communicate, which, like, mm-hmm. and she was saying that. Like, no one teaches you that. Like, you mm-hmm. take a bunch of classes for math and shit, but, like, when you go for an interview... Yeah. You need to, like, be able to 
communicate and like fit in and yeah it's it's wild that's what blew my mind the most after I graduated I was like I didn't have to study that hard for that test I do not need to know this not at all like I'm an engineer and for some reason I don't need to know any of the (laughs) like equations and shit I learned like I don't know any of it yeah, so. So you just got to, like, power through, you know? That's the whole yeah. thing. And But I got that college education. Oh, my God. <laughs> you didn't get that Harvard education, though. No, I didn't get that Harvard education. <laughs> I parked my car across the country. Oh, Lord. <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, guys. Think we're all set. We're going to go take a dip in something because we are d- dripping sweat. Enjoy your summer, people. Get your summer work done. Get Don't out there, stress, folks. though. Go to the beach. Go to the beach. Relax. Take your a feet load up. Off. Crack an open one if you're over 21. <laughs> crack an open one. I mean, crack an unopened Crack one. an egg. Crack it so it's open. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Put it on some ice. All right. Peace. Bye. Out. Have a good summer. <laughs> Have a good summer. We're going to snag. If you're thinking about suicide or worried about a friend or loved one, we urge you to call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. The 24-7 toll-free hotline is available to anyone in suicidal crisis or emotional distress. Call 1-800-273-TALK.